1: you're listening to episode 175 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk to the author of Mental Training for Ultra Running. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational, and let the Marathon Running Podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond. Hey, runners, and welcome to episode 175. My name is Letty.
2: My name is Ryan.
1: Welcome back if you're new and thank you for tuning in if this is your first time. We do a weekly marathon running podcast where we talk about all things that are fun in regards to running such as training, nutrition, race recaps, book reviews too. And today that's exactly what we have for you. So welcome.
2: So mental training for ultra marathons has got to be even more important than for marathons because I think a big part of it is you go to those greater distances is the mental aspect of it. But probably still relevant.
1: Yes. And the author of this book is Addie Brayson. She talked to us in this interview and I, one of the first questions I asked her was if this is applicable for marathoners as well. Obviously I assumed it was. And she said, yes, absolutely. Probably 80 to 90% of this book is applicable for marathoners as it is for ultra marathon running. It's just that there was less material out there for specifically ultra runners.
2: Like with anything, I think if you take an extreme, you can apply it to other parts of what you're doing. So like, that's a good example of, you know, mentally, it must be really difficult to run a ultra marathon. Therefore, some of the aspects and challenges that people might endure and some of the things you're going to learn from that will probably be applicable to something smaller like a marathon. Exactly. So, letty, mental training is a favorite topic of yours?
1: Yes. Absolutely. I love the mental aspect. Well, love-hate, right? Because I feel like I'm not good at it. And that's why I seek it out so much in the hope that I will eventually get better at it. But yeah, I mean, I always think it's fascinating how we don't have a gauge. We don't have any kind of... Way of measuring how mentally strong we are. Whereas when we run, we can see how fast we are because our garment tells us we can see how much we weigh, we can see how fatigued we are. But there's nothing that gives us some kind of insight to where a runner stands mentally. And I also feel like we put so much time and effort into our training physically, but yet we do so little for our mind game.
2: Yeah, mental aspects of life in general are very hard to measure and quantify as opposed to like. You said other things, including time or like running time or, you know, how you feel even after a run, muscle soreness, things like that are easier to quantify.
1: Wouldn't it be funny if it was just written on our foreheads how well trained we are mentally? You know, it's kind of like you you look at a person, you can a lot of times see how physically fit they are. What if we had something on our foreheads that said how sane we are? (laughs) I think that would avoid a lot of relationship trouble.
2: (laughs) It's like you need one of those mood rings.
1: Yes, exactly. I wish we had that.
2: How did you come across this book?
1: So if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we had two guests on that do running book reviews. And they gave us five books that were pertinent to fall training. One of them was on... The aspect of running, physical, prehab, rehab, nutrition. And then we also had that mental running book on there. So I reached out to the author who very nicely and kindly agreed to come on our podcast and talk to us about her book.
2: So that's cool. Eddie, you want to get into it before you start rambling more?
1: Yeah, let's do that without any further ado. We're now going to play our conversation with Addie Brayson. All right. I'm on here with Addie Bracy. Addie, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you became an expert when it comes to mental training and then wrote a book about it?
0: Yeah. Um, I'm a lifelong runner. I ran you know, in college and ran after college for a while, lots of marathons back in the day. Now I uh, specialize more in ultra distance running. So I run professionally for Nike Trail. Yeah. Um, and I've coached for a long time. I've coached for, gosh, probably 15 years. And during that time, started to kind of notice the um, maybe gap between the resources for mental training and mental preparation for races and saw that in my coaching and as an athlete. And so, um, yeah, just decided to got got pretty fascinated with it and recognized how important it was and maybe what I thought was kind of the missing piece for a lot of people. So decided to go back to grad school about five or six years ago for sports psychology and studied um studying in that field and then kind of um i guess narrowed down my focus specifically to kind of how that applies to running
1: that's perfect and i kind of want to backtrack because i know nike doesn't just sponsor everybody so tell us how that all happened
0: yeah um like i said i was a lifelong runner i you know ran um at a pretty high level on the track and on the roads running marathons and then um kind of got to the point where i wasn't getting faster anymore and decided i was you know maybe ready to move on from running and kind of just somehow found trail running Um, I live in, you know, just outside Boulder, Colorado, so kind of a good place for it and ran some races and eventually got connected with Nike and they were building out their trail team. So I've been with them for about five or six years now.
1: Nice. Very nice. All right. So about your book, your book is titled Mental Training for Ultra Marathons. Perhaps can you tell us how this can also be applied for marathon runners? Because most of our listeners don't run ultras, they run marathons.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, I would say, 80 to 90% of the book applies to almost like any distances. Um, at the time I had, um, you know, when I was in grad school, I ran my first ultra race. And now I kind of run like ultra ultra races, like 50 to 100 miles. And um, I I felt like there was even less mental training resources for those distances. And those are, I think, do have some unique qualities just being so different from, from preparation with, with marathons, you know, you can get pretty close to race distance. Maybe you're doing a 20 or 22 mile run before a race, but with a hundred miler, you're not, you're not even coming close. And so there's some chapters and some components that speak directly to kind of like the unique nature of those. But beyond that, the mental skills I think could be applied to any distance, um, just kind of sometimes through the lens of ultra running.
1: That's awesome. All right. So now that we've cleared that up, your book discusses also why psychological breakdowns happen in running. And maybe can you help us understand these breakdowns and who faces these breakdowns and what type of challenges do we face during a
0: race? Yeah, I kind of think of the psychological breakdowns as anytime time um, that's maybe what you could attribute to. Um, you know, that, that point in a race, when things kind of start to maybe not go as you thought, or you fall a little bit short of the goal, or maybe even you still meet the goal. But when you think back on like when the challenging parts of the race were for me, it tended to usually be mental or psychological, whether it was like, I couldn't manage whatever distracting thoughts I was having, or, you know, the, the difficulty or the challenge was too distracting, or, you know, you're off pace. And then all of a sudden you're kind of, um, you know, letting that carry your, your mind away with, well, I just had a split that was too slow, those kinds of things. So um, in, in my experience, that has been the biggest, um, it, it, it was rare that I felt like I could reflect on a race and, and say it was purely just physical, you know, that I didn't maybe run the way I wanted to. Sometimes, you know, if you have like a really great day. Um, so I think everybody is um, susceptible to, to psychological breakdowns. It's not about Avoiding those, or um, somehow creating circumstances where they don't happen. It's just training for those, just like you, you know, kind of train for the mental or sorry, the physical challenges of a race.
1: Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I feel like I agree with you. I've never had a marathon where I physically got injured, and if it's not an injury, the fatigue. How much of that fatigue would you say is mental? Because I know obviously we kind of get out of breath if we're pushing a little bit too hard, but you should be able to recover from that if you just slow down a little bit, right?
0: yeah yeah and we even know I mean from from so much research um that even when we perceive that we're like at our max, we're not really you know there's like a um it's called like the c- central governor theory, which is basically like you know you have a governor on your car where your car maybe won't let you go over a certain speed and it's not because it can't. it's just it's not necessary and maybe we would use too many resources and it's the same you know in the body our brains kind of like put a cap um, you know, on a certain effort level, because if there were, you know, we're not in a life threatening situation when we're running. So it's not, our, you know, bodies are not going to let us deplete all of our resources just in the event that maybe there was a reason why we needed to have a little extra. So when you think of it that way, um, you know, you know, just literally, you know, physiologically, you're not at your max. And so the limiting factor does tend to kind of be the brain. And there's a way to kind of push that needle, you know, a little bit further with, with practice and training.
1: Okay. And we'll talk about maybe some tips of how to practice that in a little bit. But you mentioned something that I find very interesting. You talked about something where we're not going to let ourselves do that because the situation is not life-threatening. And to me, that kind of goes hand in hand with having a why. If you have a very, very specific why, then that's what kind of keeps you going, right? But if you don't, then you have excuses coming in. In my case, it's something like, oh, my family's going to love me no matter whether I run this marathon five minutes faster or not. So finding your why is something that we heard is something we need to do. And there are certain ways of doing it, keeping asking yourself why, but maybe you have a better theory because I'm like a lot of runners in a situation where we just haven't found our why yet.
0: Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that finding your why and identifying kind of the reason you know, how running kind of fits into your values or, you know, kind of how you're trying to live your life and spend your time is super important. And I also think sometimes people get a little stressed about like, Oh my gosh, but I don't know what mine is. Or think that it has to be some big, huge, um, you know, life altering revelation when it could just be you like how it feels to like push yourself. You know, you like how it feels to feel challenged. Um, you like, you know, the community of races, there's a lot of different reasons, you know, why that could be important, but, um, I do think it's necessary. I mean, it, it's a little bit simplifying, but in to some degree, you know, our bodies are motivated by either seeking something, you know, whether it's pleasurable or rewarding, and sometimes running is not pleasurable. And so there has to be like kind of something rewarding um, to be motivating. And so I think thinking about that ahead of time can um, be helpful in the moment to kind of find a reason, you know, to keep pushing. Otherwise, like to your point, it's a lot easier to sometimes find a reason not to.
1: Right. And how do you have your athletes find their why? Do so you have to sit down with them a notebook or how do you how do you go about it?
0: Yeah. I mean, like literally writing it out. I know there had, when I first did that exercise for myself, I had run for a long time without ever really even thinking about that. Um, and for me personally, I try to kind of fit it into just my values as a whole person, not just like my why is because I want to run a three-hour marathon or whatever. You I know, mean, That's not really a why. That's more of like a goal. Um, so if you can kind of find a reason, a a way to fit it into just your, more like your life view, I think that can, can be more sustainable.
1: Perfect. All right. So let's talk about a little bit of stress management. One of your chapters includes stress management, and maybe you can talk about how that's of value for runners.
0: Um, I mean, that's, that's something that I see. I'm a coach as well. And I see with a lot of athletes, you know, maybe, having a workout that didn't go that great or feeling, um, you know, just depleted for a run and we kind of have a conversation and you find out, you know, there's all this other like life stress going on and all these other things happening. And it could even be good things, you know, it could be just, you know, busy with work or busy with family. So I think one thing is to recognize that stress is um, it's all kind of coming from the same place and, and factoring that into training and to preparation and recognizing that it's not like we can, separate like life stress versus running stress versus, you know, et cetera, it's all kind of important. But, um, you know, as much as you can do to, I guess, minimize, which is not always possible, but recognizing that is like a limited resource. Um, that's kind of like more on a macro scale. And then even, you know, within the context of, um, preparation or running, you know, I don't know, kind of simplifying things or reducing things that, or unnecessary that might be, you know, more stress inducing. And I think stress is a word that gets like a negative implication, but it's stress is not necessarily bad, you know, training. That is what training is. You're adding physical stress to your body and then following that up with recovery so that your body can like adapt. And so you kind of have to think of it in that holistic view of like what stress actually is and recognizing it's a good thing, but it also needs to be paired with like proper recovery in order to, you know, grow and adapt from it.
1: I really like that. That's a great way of reframing it because it's true. That's what we do during training. We add an extra stress factor to our lives.
0: Mm -hmm. Are you looking for the perfect apparel that mirrors your love for running? Look no further than Run Swag, the go-to store by runners for runners. From witty tees to hoodies that commemorate your marathon majors to crops that get you motivated, Run Swag's got you covered. Discover the perfect blend of comfort and style. Visit www.runswag.com. Runswag, there's something for every runner.
1: Okay, so then. I guess along with that, your next chapter kind of goes hand in hand and it's called getting comfortable with the, I'm sorry, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. So that sounds kind of like a key concept for marathoners because a marathon is obviously not compared to the ultra, but it's a really long race. It's 26 miles. So how can this, how can they apply this principle during their long run and during their races to be comfortable with being uncomfortable?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a, a, um, Uh, like a tendency to, again, think of discomfort as being some kind of bad thing. um, When in reality, that's just like a byproduct of what you're doing. You know, it's uncomfortable to run fast or to run far. That's some that's putting, again, stress on your body. So, um, you know, it's not about I think sometimes it is more of a matter of having athletes kind of reframe or redefine their relationship with what that means. Um, you know, when things get harder, it feels hard. It doesn't necessarily mean it's because things aren't going well, or you can't finish the race or, you know, you weren't ready. It means that what you're doing is hard. Um, so there needs to be some kind of, um, adaptation to that and like willingness to kind of be in that and feel that. Um, and I, you see that a lot with like athletes that are, you know, really high performers. I I remember hearing some interviews with some, some like elite marathoners, Shalane Flanagan was one of them and talking about how she associated that discomfort with performing well to the point where she almost had to like temper herself in the beginning of races because she wanted to get to that point so quickly to be like, okay, now I'm like doing the hard thing because it's hard. It feels hard. So to her, you know, that, that association was like a good thing. It's like, that's necessary. Um, so it's not bad. And I think that sometimes we have this, like I said, tendency to react to the discomfort is like, oh shoot, like I can't do it. Or this is really hard. Or, um, maybe I'm not as ready as I thought, which is not, not necessarily true.
1: Yeah. No, I actually heard about that, what Shaleen said. And well, I guess the question boils down to how long are we able to be comfortable with that? And then the central governor, as you called it earlier, comes back up because it won't let us do something for long if we don't think we can sustain it. Right. So how do we avoid feeling that even though we know the stress is a good thing, but we know we can't last with it, or at least we think that.
0: I mean, that's, a, yeah, definitely where I think the practicality of training comes in, you know, into play is practicing, you know, if you think about a marathon buildup, you're likely, you know, your listeners, regardless of what their goals are, are like probably building their long runs throughout, you know, the, the duration of a um, race prep for a marathon. And I think obviously there's the um, intention to like build the the physical strength to sustain that, but also the mental strength of like, you're building up how much longer can I, you know, the longer amount of time that you can sit in that discomfort. Maybe it's for 10 miles at first, and then maybe you can build that up to 12 miles and then 15 miles. And then you're kind of just increasing like your tolerance of it, but you're right. You can't sit in discomfort forever. So there is also, you know, pacing comes into play and I'm not suggesting that people go out and like seek that discomfort early on, you know, like Shalane maybe said she did. That's not also not the, um, the goal. It's not something you can, just maintain and maintain and maintain. But I think uh, training and preparation gives you a chance to practice that and also maybe get some kind of idea um, over how long that's sustainable.
1: Yeah. And I guess I'm going to ask you this because you're a coach as well. So it seems like there's two views of how people do their quote unquote long runs on Sunday, because a lot of the newer coaches, I want to say, and they, they have people do their long runs at a much slower pace than the actual marathons whereas the older coaches from the 80s and i have one of them when we do our long runs on sunday we do have really long miles that we keep at a very hard pace and they agree with each other's viewpoint i'm curious what you have to say about that
0: i mean i think it's important to do the harder long runs as well but obviously it's kind of like um you know, the foundational piece would just be, it it would depend on the person's experience and maybe even where you were in a build. You know, at first you just want to be able to get through the 15 miles and be like, cool, I I ran as slow as I needed to, to like cover that distance. But then again, to go back to stress, I mean, if you don't add more stress, you just kind of maintain where you are. And so you, you also can't just run further and further and further forever. So, you know, the next layer of difficulty would be to like you just said, add, you know, components of harder segments within a long run or, you know, half the long run's or a fast finish long run or or whatever it is, both adds, you know, physiological stress to help with the, the physiological adaptations, but is also putting more mental stress on you and forcing you to kind of learn the skills to deal with that.
1: Okay, perfect. All right. So that, you know, boils down again, who are you and where are you in your training, I guess? Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So then another, another chapter that you have written about is running the mile you're in. I, I'm assuming it just means staying focused during a race and doing what you are doing just for that mile, letting go of all the other pressures. Can you p- maybe talk about that chapter a
0: little bit? Yeah. It's, it's mainly just about staying present. And I, there, there is obviously still, um, a, a benefit to thinking ahead a little bit. I mean, obviously that's what pacing is. You know, you kind of think maybe what you, your goal for the, t- for the marathon is, and you kind of have these mile checkpoints of like, am I on, you know, pace for what I thought? So there, there's not like there's, it's not like I'm suggesting there's never a reason to kind of forward think, but at least in the moment when you're actually in the race itself, really all you can control is, is the mile that you're running at that point. You can't change the mile you just ran. If there was, you know, you're a couple seconds off pace, Um, it's not really super beneficial to get too caught up in, you know, maybe how you might feel at mile 20 or mile 22. Although again, I do think there can be a benefit to a quick, a quick forward thinking of like, is this pace sustainable? Like, how am I going to feel, you know, in an hour at this pace? Okay, cool. I think I can sustain this, but it's not getting stuck in the forward thinking or getting stuck in the backwards thinking. It's still kind of using those Um, quick thoughts about, you know, the future down down the road to adjust what you're doing now. So still the intention is still like in the present moment.
1: Nice. Very nice. All right. So, you know, in your next chapter, you talk about sticking to the grind. How can that help our listeners staying committed to their training plans? Because it does get monotone. You have, you know, 12 to 16, sometimes 18, 20 weeks of, of the same
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just a little bit what what you're signing up for is the long-term. And I think, you know, running progression is really about consistency. You know, you can miss a day here and there or have a bad workout here and there, but kind of sticking to it over the long-term I think is where where you really see the results. And um, in my mind, I think that actually makes me feel a little bit more flexible sometimes because I recognize, you know, the goal is again, consistency and like, a lot of variables over a long period of time. And so it lets me be a little bit more flexible, maybe day to day or week to week if work was busy and I didn't get to do that workout or I missed a run. Um, sometimes I think athletes will kind of let that derail them because they think everything has to be like so perfect, but that's not necessarily true. Again, it's like grinding over you know a longer period of time.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And then that kind of goes hand in hand with your chapter that comes next, which is on uh, adaptability, which you know, your training is as unpredicted as marathons can go, right? Can you talk about that perhaps a little bit?
0: Yeah. And that's, that's when I think even becomes adaptability becomes an even more important skill, I think in the longer races, because there's just so many variables, you know, the longer you're out there. And that's the same as in a marathon. If you think of a marathon versus a 5k, there's so many more factors or so many more decision points and like things that could happen. So when you extrapolate that, you know, a four hour race, up to like a 30 hour race, there's just a lot of stuff that can happen and you have to you know be willing to pivot. Um, and sometimes again, I think there's we can kind of um almost like idealize a race. And you know, especially if you've been training for like you said, 12, 14, 18, 20 weeks, you've been like daydreaming about it. And then you find yourself in the race and maybe it doesn't look or feel like you thought it would. Um, and if that's the case, it can be really easy to kind of shut down and be like, Well, this wasn't this wasn't the way I thought it was gonna be, but if you're willing to kind of adapt and and recognize, okay, maybe it's not exactly unfolding the way I thought, but I can like shift my perspective or adjust my goal. And maybe, you know, I still want to finish. And so I'll slow down a little bit, or it's a nutrition thing. So let me just stop at this aid station and like cool down or whatever it is, if you're willing to kind of problem solve and again, be present and adapt, you can still have a performance. I think that you're really happy with, even if the objective outcome, maybe wasn't what you thought it was going to be.
1: Right. Cause you never really know, right? <laughs> yeah. I never know. All right. So your chapter eight, running with courage is a very powerful concept. How can marathoners develop these, this courage during their races and do that, especially when they hit those challenging moments later on in the marathon?
0: I mean, yeah, I already, I already think anybody that even lines up for a marathon, you know, is brave. I think that it's a very vulnerable sport and very exposing and, you know, you, you, your results are right there next to your name. There's really kind of no hiding. So I think the people already should be kind of celebrating that, that you're even willing to go, you know, to go out and try it. Um, But yeah, I think just recognizing that vulnerability and kind of having that courage is necessary because like you just said, you don't know how it's going to turn out. And so the only, you know, way you're willing to try something with no um, like, I don't know. Um, certainty over what's actually even going to happen is to, you know, to kind of, to be brave about it. Um, and I think that's fun to like embrace that. I remember my first real big hundred miler, I was having a really tough time when I got to like 80 miles, I was really struggling and kind of thought, you know, I think I need to stop. This is really hard. I don't know if I can do this. And I had a friend there that kind of said, um, she said, this is, this is why you came here, you know, to be in this moment where you didn't know if you could finish. And now you get to like decide what to do with that. And that was a good reminder of like this concept of, yeah, this is why I came here. And, you know, when you think about marathons, like you came there to get to 22 miles and see what happens next. And that's kind of the point. And so when you embrace that and recognize it's not a bad thing, it's a necessary thing. And it's maybe even the thing. um, I think that can be a lot more empowering.
1: Wow, that, that is really powerful. So I'm assuming you finished that race.
0: I did. Yeah. I'm very happy that I did. Yeah. It was awesome. It have was you hard. ever have you ever not finished a race? Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's been times when that's been like the right decision. You know, sometimes the the mental piece is huge and also it's not the only thing. Like sometimes races don't go well because something happened and that's also okay.
1: Well, I'm assuming, I mean, a lot of s- more physical stuff is going to happen during an ultra marathon than a marathon and not to, you know, bash on our marathon runners, but it's 26 miles versus a hundred miles where, you know, one little blister during a marathon that's already so painful. I can't imagine what that would feel like at mile 75.
0: Yeah. Sometimes just like the sheer duration of hundred milers, you know, it's if you're having stomach issues and maybe having like a lot of um vomiting or something and it's you're 60 miles in it's kind of hard to see how that might be possible to go 10 more hours where you're right maybe in a marathon it's not i still you know marathons are just different they're higher intensity they're still as hard i think but they're just different so sometimes um i think the dropout rates are higher in ultras than maybe in marathons
1: yeah i can see that i mean i've done marathons for fun before when my husband he's not a marathon runner but we ran a marathon we ran it slowly and just being on your feet for almost five hours is already painful. I can't imagine having to do this for 75 more miles because I know you don't sprint out during an ultra, but then just to be on your feet for that long, that's just, I can't imagine.
0: Yeah. It's a long time. A lot of different things can come up. Yeah.
1: So with fall marathons just around the corner, what are some immediate takeaways or exercises from your book that our listeners can perhaps do to enhance their own race experience?
0: Uh, In my opinion, I almost suggest everybody start with when it comes to mental skills, building or, you know, focusing on a mental skill is attention. Um, That's really the most important thing, in my opinion, when again, you kind of reflect on long runs or workouts or racing it's typically when it gets hard mentally and therefore physically or you know vice versa whichever one kind of came first it's because you're probably focusing on like the wrong things or focusing on something that's not super productive again whether it's this workout's not going well i'm not hitting my splits and then you're kind of hyper focusing on the fact that your splits are slow which means you probably can't run the time you thought in the race and you start to catastrophize or it just feels hard and you you have a hard time not thinking about how hard it feels or the weather's bad or whatever it is. It's typically, um, in my opinion, the performance suffers maybe most or at least the the biggest kind of, um, I don't know, quicksand to get stuck into is to not be able to control like what you're focusing on or where you're putting your attention. So that's um, there is a whole chapter on that and there's some exercises and then even just Honestly, probably Google searching, you know, attentional control, mental skills, sports psychology, that kind of thing will we'll bring up some exercises, but just getting in. That's what mindfulness and, and meditation is. It's getting better at controlling your attention. So that's where I would almost suggest anybody start is just focusing on that and getting really good at noticing when your attention's on something that's not helpful or productive and then getting really good at putting it back on like where it needs to be.
1: In your opinion, what do you feel like your attention should be focused on? Should it be, I mean, obviously it should be on the race, but should you constantly be thinking, okay, how am I holding my body? Or is it a certain mantra or what are some things that we should pay attention? I mean, I'm sorry, focus on.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. And it, and it is really individual, which is again, why I think it's like maybe the best place to start. It really depends on kind of the person Um, and with some reflection and like thinking back to really great workouts or great races, you can kind of determine, you know, maybe what, what was best for you and what, to what you just described. Some people prefer more of an external focus where maybe they're, um, you know, zoning out, um, looking ahead of them, whether it's like, you know, running a workout with somebody, I'm just going to sit behind you and like focus on your back, or maybe it's focusing on like your form and your breathing. Some people like to be more internal where maybe they're repeating a mantra or have some athletes who will like count, you know, while they're doing intervals, that kind of thing. So it really depends on the person and kind of what their preference is. But, um, and then it also can vary where someone gets stuck, whether someone's getting stuck internally with like the negative thoughts or, you know, the negative self-talk or whether someone's getting stuck on hearing splits that aren't what they want to hear. Um, all of it really depends on the person. Um, and when you can kind of learn that information about yourself and have that self-awareness, you can kind of cater your own strategies to what you need.
1: I love it. All right. So perhaps can you share some real life examples of your own athletes who've applied principles from your strategies under your book and
0: enhance their experience? Um, yeah, I mean, I would I would go back to attentional control, I think, is where I've seen people make the quickest progress is recognizing, you know, I have some athletes who... Um, have have maybe struggled with getting stuck again with that like negative self-talk or, um, you know, start to have negative thoughts in a race and then just kind of spiral from there and can't pull their self out of it or can't turn their attention away from that. So, you know, maybe we've implemented like a mindfulness practice where a couple of times a week in the mornings, they're spending, you know, 15, 20 minutes um, working on mindfulness, which again, there's, there's such a um, misconception that mindfulness meditation is like the intention being to sit with no thoughts and to be able to kind of sustain this like zen-like state and that's not actually true like what the intention of it is to focus on something usually it's breathing or usually maybe you're listening to some kind of dialogue on a recording or something and the intention is to notice when you go from focusing on your breathing to like oh shoot i need to go to the grocery store later. later and that's like okay you got distracted and now you're noticing that and now come back to like focusing on your breathing um, that's what the intention is, and I think that's a really great place to start because if you can get good at that, you can get better in a race of thinking about keeping your your form smooth. You know, you're just kind of zoning out in the state, and then you're maybe you get distracted by shoot that split was too slow, and then okay, you noticed it, it's information, but bring your attention back to where it needs to be. So that's where I've seen people make the quickest, most tangible progress is just. Implementing some kind of intentional practice, you know, maybe outside of running and then taking that into workouts and long runs and kind of just getting better at that. What are some other things that you believe
1: are crucial for marathoners that they do while they run a race if they've really trained hard and want to do well?
0: Um, I, I think belief. You know, I kind of use that word over confidence, even though I think confidence is in the book. But just, um, you know, you have to believe you can do the thing that you're trying to do. That's almost just like a requirement. Um, And there's a lot of, you know, different... One of the things that I also suggest, I guess the two different things I start with are um, the attentional control and then and then also having like a confidence or a belief journal. And it's kind of similar to gratitude journaling where, you know, you're kind of maybe throughout the day or throughout a week... um, you know, the point of a gratitude journal is maybe writing down things that you're really grateful for. And the the purpose is number one, to just see all these great things, but also because, you know, you're going to do this exercise, you're like looking for things that you're grateful for. And similarly, when I suggest like a confidence or a belief journal, it's like, you know, maybe throughout the week, you're kind of recording things that, um, you know, depositing little facts of why you can you know, run this four-hour marathon or whatever it is. And the point is, number one, I do that. I keep a, a journal. And sometimes when I go to races and I get really nervous right before, it's really nice to have this um, log almost of all these reasons why actually I'm really prepared for this. I know my brain's trying to tell me I'm not or I can't do it. But if I look back, I can see all these things that happened, You know, whether it was I crushed this long run or I really was working on hydrating better throughout the day or whatever it is, you know, you kind of have these real facts about why this thing's possible. But then, like I said, if you're, you know, doing this on a consistent basis, you're constantly looking for reasons to believe um, in your goal rather than letting yourself kind of fall the other direction of maybe not believing that.
1: I love this. And with fall marathons literally being right around the corner four weeks, how... Late is too late. I know with marathon training, you can't train for four weeks and do well, but how much time does one need to really get to a point where they do believe in themselves? Cause I, I know from my own experience, that's a very tough one. I don't believe in myself until I've seen some workouts that make me believe that I don't believe in the whole fake it till you make it because, you know, you can't, in my mind, do that. But how much time is too much or too, I mean, too little time to train your brain?
0: Yeah, I don't think there's too little. I mean, it's it is similar in that you know building anything into becoming more of a habit takes time. You know, if you're trying to replace an old thought pattern that's maybe your habit, it takes time and practice to make that new, you know, more productive um, mental approach be the default. But you can still just with some intention still see an impact. You can still see an effect. There's I don't think there's any such thing as too late. Obviously, the the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. But even just having you know some time and awareness over these things before a race, I think is is helpful and can be beneficial.
1: Okay, great. So we do have enough time if we want to talk to you before our fall races, winter races and everything. So maybe you can hop into your business a little bit. Tell us what you do and what happens when a new athlete comes to you, how you assess them and then kind of where it goes from there.
0: Yeah. So I, uh, I coach, but I also do, you know, Mental performance consulting with athletes where we work, you know, pretty much entirely on mental preparation for for races or competitions. And sometimes someone comes to me with a specific race coming up that they want to work on, or sometimes it's just, you know, at the beginning of a season or even after an off season, something that they've recognized um, and they need improvement in. I kind of think of my job or my role similar to like a, a PT. I almost call it like a PT for the brain in the sense that you might, you know, an athlete might come to me and say, the issue is um, my confidence or the issue is. Um, I fall apart at this point in a race or whatever the problem is. And then we can kind of identify, well, maybe what's the source of that or where's that coming from? And then here's some, you know, exercises and skill, like tools we might implement to, to maybe build up that muscle that's, that's, um, that mental muscle or that, you know, area that's weak, that's kind of causing that breakdown. Um, so typically, you know, I shouldn't ideally have to work with someone for too long. It's just a matter of, you know, kind of identifying maybe where they can get stronger or grow. And then, um, I'm a big fan of like tangible, real exercises and and tools to take into training and kind of build again, this new thought pattern or this new way of thinking about things that then kind of becomes the habit. Um, so yeah, very individual just depends on kind of what the person's challenge is. And then, you know, we can kind of identify what the mental skill is that might be most like appropriate for them to focus on.
1: And then they get exercises that they can do during their runs, not during their runs and just something that they can implement with their training to help them.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Perfect. I love this. Um, Can you let us know how we can find you online and get in touch with you as well?
0: Yeah, yeah. My practice is called uh, Strive, S-T-I-R-V-E, Mental Performance. And it's at strivementalperformance.com. And there's a a contact email form on there. And um, yeah, happy to help people any way I can.
1: Perfect, Adi. Thank you so much. And one last tip for our new runners that are looking to do their first marathon.
0: Um, gosh, I would say, I mean, I think with running, especially anytime you're thinking of a new goal like that, is like find someone else that's that's done the thing. I think mentorship is is really awesome and um people in the sport are really generous. And I found that even when I moved up to ultras and had no idea what I was doing or how to train for it or how to go that long, you know, just having somebody um kind of show me the ropes or give me some advice or go for runs with me was was really great. So um yeah, in, in um take advantage of the community because I think people are really generous and, and helpful. Perfect, Addy. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you, Addy, so much for coming on and speaking with me. It was very interesting to hear your view on the mental game when it comes to running. And I so appreciate your time. So thank you.
2: Hopefully people find that interesting and can give us their feedback. Always like feedback.
1: Absolutely. And we'll link Addie's book in the show notes, of course.
2: Anything planned for next week?
1: Not yet, but working on it. All right. So tune in next week anyway, even though we don't know what's coming on yet. And with that,
2: have a good week of running.
1: Thanks for tuning in. For more information and marathon running news, please head to www.marathonrunningpodcast.com and we'll be back
0: next week.